Before we start, I want to give a mention to Draper Esprit, a publicly listed VC fund that invests in high growth European tech companies with global ambitions. Their portfolio includes companies like Revolut, UiPath, Kazoo, Graphcore, Trustpilot, Isai, Revelin, Aircore, and many, many other top European tech companies. Draper Esprit writes checks of 5 to 50 million US dollars, and they focus on sectors like consumer, fintech, health tech, deep tech, enterprise, and SaaS. Their investment team has an incredible depth of experience, both as operators and investors, that helps businesses scale globally. If that sounds like the sort of investor you want to work with, get in touch with them at draperesprit.com. That's D-R-A-P-E-R-E-S-P-R-I-T dot com. Make the future, make it better, make it happen. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 279 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, on this Saturday solo episode. So, how are you doing? Hope you enjoyed last Saturday's um, episodes, my do it, ditch it, delegate it. Uh, Previous week, talked about your 90-day goal. What is the one thing you can do to focus in on? and get accomplished before this year is done. And before that, five different ways of funding your business. This week, I want to talk about a one-page business plan. One page, I hear you say, I hear it. I can hear you, I can hear you. Reason being, when I was at Virgin Startup, when I was working with Virgin Startup as a business advisor, then as a delivery partner, used to send everybody a 70-plus page business plan. For me, to get started, that was a massive roadblock for people. For a lot of people, you just need to get started. You need to start seeing some revenue. So what is the quickest way to do that? I'm all about planning. You know, that old mantra, to fail to prepare is to prepare to fail. I wholly subscribe to that. I think you need a plan. But how many plans do we know that have literally been written on the back of back of a napkin, um, the likes of Richard Branson, I will say, that have gone on to be successful. I don't believe at the start you need to spend a huge amount of time filling out a plan that big. Yes, you need to put some meat on the bones, update your plans, treat it as a living, breathing document, a roadmap to get you from A to B, to get you to whatever metric of success you decide success looks like. 
But to get started, what stops most people is just that, getting started. So for me, if you can just work out exactly a few things such as what are you going to sell? Who's going to buy it? How are you going to get paid? Literally, those three things mean you've got a business, okay? If you haven't got one of those, you don't have a business. So if you've got an idea, but you don't have anyone who can buy it, you don't have a business. If you've got a way to get paid and someone to sell it to, but you don't have a product or a service, you haven't got a business. So you see where I'm going with this? So... First off for me, an overview of this is going to be what are you going to sell? Okay. And this comes back to an exercise we've done previously here is working out what you're passionate about. You've got to, for me, you've got to go into business choosing something that you still want to be doing in three years. If you're going to do something short term, fair enough, whether it's something that's, you know, obvious example is COVID related, pandemic related that people have made money on, but I don't believe you know, fingers crossed, touch wood and all that, that that's here to stay. I refuse to accept that. And it's fine to go out and try and make some money in that regard. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying to have any longevity, to have a business that you want to work in or pass on or sell, you've still got to be passionate about it in a few years, not months. And you've also got to be, have some kind of expertise for me, be knowledgeable about it. It's going to be far more difficult to get into something you know absolutely nothing about. And yes, there are examples. Of course, there's always examples of people who've done exactly the opposite. But it's easier, okay? So for me, you're doing that exercise where on the left of the side of the page, you're literally brainstorming things you're passionate about, things you love, things, think back to when you were a kid or a teenager that you used to love doing, you were inspired to do, that you dreamt of doing. In the right-hand page, you're writing down all the things you're good at, uh, you have knowledge about, you could be perceived as an expert about. And all I mean by expert is you're one lesson ahead of the person behind you. You could teach them, okay? That's all I'm talking about here. So working out what are you going to sell? Is it a product or is it a service, Okay. Um, for me, those of you who are regular listeners to the show will know I literally took, you know, this podcast and my love of this medium, this audio medium to turn it into a full-time business with different revenue streams. So now, um, you know, we have sponsorship of the podcast. I have an agency where I make podcasts uh, for different entrepreneurs and brands. I have a course that people can learn themselves how to create their own podcast. And then I have a mentorship where I teach people how to. And I also have an events business whenever events will come back. So different products and services. Think about that. And who's going to buy it? Who's going to buy it from you? And for me, for this question, you want a branch out and have a really good idea of who you want to buy it. What are they, you know, name them. So, you know, are they male? Are they female? Are they in their 20s? Are they in their 30s? Where do they live? Do they live in London? Do they live in Bristol? Do they live in Edinburgh? Do they live in a semi-detached house? Do they live in a mansion in the country? Um, are they married? Are they single? Do they have children? 
what kind of disposable income is coming into that household? Is it £50,000 a year or less? Is it over £100,000 a year? Is it over £250,000? What does that person do for a living? You know, are they uh, a banker? Are they a nurse? What are they? And then name them. Is this person called Bob? Is this person called Katie? Name them. And I always come back to the example of hosting uh, Jamie and Ed from Candy Kittens, Jamie Lang and Ed Williams, uh, having uh, their example, which was Chloe from Clapham, who's 24, works in PR, um, and this is what she does. You know, every week they'd meet up and say, this is the film she's going to, this is the music she's listening to, this is the book she's reading, um, this is the podcast she's listening to, this is uh, the where she's buying clothes. So you you know this person inside out who is going to buy uh, your goods from you. Quite often, I find speaking to people is, is that they are that person. You, you would have just heard about that um, with Adam in uh, in our last Q&A Wednesday episode. He was the target demographic. So yes, it can be easier uh, to, to you know map that out as to who is going to buy it. And how's your business idea going to help people? You know, more often than not, um, if you are solving a problem for somebody, then you have a bigger chance of of being successful or quicker uh, means perhaps of getting some traction with that idea. You know, if you're helping someone, people always are going to need help in in whatever it is going to be. So to think about that when it comes to this question as well, with regards to how you, who's going to buy it, um, you know, how is this idea going to help people? And my example with with the podcast um, is that you know, for for businesses, for example, it's a marketing tool. Uh, if their audience is listening to podcasts, how can they get in front of that audience? How can they communicate with their existing audience? Well, they can make a podcast and tell their stories that way. They can host interesting, uh, inspirational, knowledgeable conversations with their existing audience and and use it to attract more of their ideal customers by having a podcast. Okay, so that's that's my example for you. Next up for me is what are you going to charge? How much are you going to charge for your products and services? And for me, there's a couple of things here. Um, most people, I think, make a mistake by just looking at their competitors and pricing accordingly. Somewhere in the middle, not too cheap, not too expensive. You don't want to be try and be the cheapest because that's just a race to the bottom and there's only going to be one winner. You can't be the second cheapest. No one's going to buy from you. So I'll give you an example here for me. And it's a classic one, I think. It comes down to self-worth, how you value your time. And a lot of people, myself included in the past, have priced themselves far too cheaply. Um, I remember when I started my sports business, um, when I left Virgin 11 years ago, retrained as a personal trainer and a sports therapist, and I scaled that up to... Uh, a couple of clinics and a, a team of therapists and PTs running boot camps, um, et cetera, et cetera. But to start with, they could charge £17.50 for an hour. And it's hard work, sports therapy, PT, or uh, well, the way I was doing it. It certainly was. And 
when I then realized that I could actually employ other people, a penny never dropped. I just always saw myself as a one-man band, really. As soon as I did that and I looked at my competition, I deliberately chose to be the most expensive out there. Um, and, you know, for me, it comes down to, you know, simple analogy, like, you know, you could buy a handbag. It could be Louis Vuitton and it could cost you a couple of grand or you can go to Marks and Spencers and it costs you, I don't know, a couple of tenors to buy it, you know, 20, 30 pounds. I don't know. Um, but it comes down to that perceived value. And, you know, you've got to think about that, where you fit in that, uh, you know, where is your perceived value? Do you want to be? And for me, I deliberately wanted to be the most expensive in my area when I was charging uh, prices. So we deliberately charged, I think it was 50 or 55 pounds because they were charging 42, 50 or 45 pounds, something like that. But I deliberately set myself out. And there's something to do with quality there. People's perception is that it's a premium product and they're going to be getting the best. So it's something really worth spending some time thinking about when it comes to, to pricing. Um, you know, you don't want to get this wrong. You don't want to continually discount your services, your products. That's my, that's my personal opinion. I think you should produce something that you're proud of, that you believe in, that you think is a quality product and charge accordingly for your time. What's that worth to you? And how are you going to get paid? How are you going to get paid? So there's a myriad of ways to get paid, paid these days. And clearly, we are moving rapidly towards a cashless society. I remember when I started 11 years ago, accepted cash or check. I don't think there's a thing as a check anymore, is there? Um, and cash is rapidly going the same route. So, you know, you can have, uh, you know, e-commerce website where people are buying your products and services and paying online, or you can pay in person by having a card machine, like an iZettle, uh, there's a whole bunch of them out there, SumUp's another one, Square's another one. Um, and you can also have that on a computer and you take payments over the phone or in person and you just type the card details into your, into your computer. So, you know, it's again, something worth thinking about, you know, have you got a product or service, what you're going to charge for it, who's going to buy it. And have you got a way of getting paid? I mean, you've got like, you know, PayPal, Stripe uh, to use. I, I have a Stripe account, use that. I've used PayPal before as well. Um, and, you know, if you have a marketing funnel set up through something like ClickFunnels um, and through event platforms like Eventbrite, you know, you can link those up to um a specific bank account as well. So you can get paid. It's clearly key to get paid and they all take different percentages and you just have to balance that up yourself um, as to how much you're prepared to, to let someone do. But whatever you do, you know, do it, scale it up. And have a think about who else, um, how else you can make money from this. So think of other revenue streams and look for me, as I mentioned earlier, you know, multi multiple revenue streams. I can I can have sponsorship of uh, this podcast. Um, I could even go down a premium content route and charge a subscription for that. I have um, my podcast course. I have my mentorship program. I have an agency where we have a done for you version 
uh, three different versions of podcasts that we make for people. So what's that? Four or five different revenue streams there. And I think that's more key than ever, having seen the pandemic hit and so many people reliant on one stream of income. You know, if you can diversify how people pay you, I think it's I think it's massive now. So have a think about that, you know, and also think, you know, you know, go to your clients and ask them what else they're, they, they're, what else they're struggling to buy. What other products and services do they want that they can't get um, or for a certain price they can't get them and see if you can fill that gap. And if you can't, you know, set something up whereby you refer them to someone else and, you know, maybe you get some kind of affiliate set up with somebody else. Um, I did that when I, you know, back when I had the sports injury clinic, um, the sports sports business because I would have affiliates set up with running shops where people could go and get, you know, running shoes, um, you know, all sorts of things like that, nutrition, uh, you know, things that I weren't offering, but were in the health and fitness space set me up again, uh, you know, as that authority, because if, um, if I didn't supply it, I could connect you with someone who could. And I think that's, that's a really good place to be. Um, you know, and all of these things I'm talking about can be used. It doesn't have to be doing if you're thinking of starting a business. This can be revisited. You know, you should be revisiting your business plan. It's your roadmap to get you from A to B to reach your ultimate goal, whatever that is for you, whatever success looks like for you. So um, the other thing I want to talk about, it's essentially marketing, but, you know, how will your customers learn about your business? How are they going to learn about it? Um, and multitude of ways I could do a whole, well, I could do multiple episodes just on this subject. But, you know, for me, no brainer when you're starting out or whatever stage of business you are, you know, set up social media accounts um, for your business on, you know, again, it comes back to your customer. Who is your ideal customer avatar and where do they hang out? Do they hang out on LinkedIn? Is it um, Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it, you know, Twitter, Pinterest, etc. Where are they hanging out on social media? How are they communicating with people? Um, and then it's trying to build, for me, social media, a lot of people get this really wrong. They try and sell all the time on social media and, and people don't go to social media to get sold. People go to social media for stories, for uh, to connect with people, you know, if, especially if you're in something like LinkedIn, I think, um, you know, each platform has its own idiosyncrasies um, and different age demographics. So for me, that's where you want to be telling stories. Um, and every so often, whenever you decide that is, you do want to make an offer, but you want to take people away from social media and then sell to them through other channels, be that by building up an email list, or uh, a Facebook messenger list, those kinds of things where you want to be building your client um, lists so you can then sell to them away from social media. Um, so loads you can talk about there, you know, what's evergreen marketing, um, what are one-off marketing campaigns that you have going, um, you know, how often do you email your customers? There's still a time and a place for emails, I think, we do a weekly one. Uh, when there's an offer, we we ramp it up and have an you know an email sequence uh, that people will will keep them warm. You know, we'll keep telling them stories uh, until you know 
they essentially bite on one of the offers that's the right fit for them. And again, it comes back to how many points of contact you have. And eventually, you know, whether it's seven, eight, nine, um, people will buy from you. And how can you encourage referrals? So for me, again, the greatest form of marketing is through referrals because it costs you nothing. Um, how can you, and for me, the biggest one here is most people not asking not having a system in place whereby they are consistently asking for a referral. Um, you know, the end of every podcast you listen to, I ask my guests to refer a couple of people. People like to give you good referrals. They don't like to recommend crap people. Um, that's the beauty of it. You know, they want, they want to essentially, you know, look good as well. Um, and they want to help you. If they, if they, you know, know, like, and trust you and they're buying from you, why wouldn't they recommend you to friends, family, if they believe they're also in the market for your products and services? It's a no-brainer. So having a system in place where you are consistently asking for that, don't be afraid. What's the worst thing they can do? Say no. So what do you do? Go and ask someone else and move on. And look, guys, for you, when will this be a success? Okay. Is it a figure, i.e., is it a numerical number? This will be a success when I make a million pounds, five million pounds, 10 million pounds, when I exit and sell the company, when I generate X amount of money and revenue, or is it a number of people you want to help, a number of customers that you, you want to have you want to have a thousand customers paying you 25 pound a month subscription do you know what i mean so have a think about what success is it's going to be different for every single one of you write it down and again don't be scared of putting a big figure down what's the worst that can happen you don't reach it but you get pretty close to it um so have a think about that. It could be your annual net income. It could be a monthly figure. It could be both. Okay. And that's it. Look, little 20 minute episode for you on my one minute business plan. Um, I managed to condense that. I normally do that in like an hour, 90 minutes. I've done this on a couple of Facebook lives recently. So um, I wanted to try and condense it and I'm pretty happy with that 20 minutes uh, for a one page business plan. Okay, so this that's literally for you if um, you are thinking of starting a business, you've just started a business, um, you have a business and, you know, when was the last time you looked at your business plan? Is it something that's still in a drawer? Um, and you really, you know, need to have a regular look at these things, regularly, you know, review what's the metrics of success for you, regularly review what your ideal customer avatar is like, uh, regularly review your products and services and see, you know, uh, go out and crowdsource this, ask your audience, your existing customer base, uh, what they need help with, what are their pain points and can you supply it or can you connect them with someone else who can? That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. Have a great weekend. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. 
You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the Screw It, Just Do It hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. Lastly, and if you're looking for investment, I wanted to give a mention to Draper Esprit, a publicly listed VC fund that invests in high growth European tech companies with global ambitions. The portfolio includes companies like Revolut, UiPath, Kazoo, Graphcore, Trustpilot, Isai, Revelin, Aircore, and many, many other top European tech companies. Draper Esprit writes checks of five to 50 million pounds and they focus on sectors like consumer, fintech, health tech, deep tech, enterprise and SaaS. Their investment team has an incredible depth of experience both as operators and investors that helps businesses scale globally. So if this sounds like the sort of investor you want to work with, get in touch with them at draperesprit.com. That's D-R-A-P-E-R-E sprit.com. Make the future, make it better, make it happen.